0: You're listening to The Dworkin Report. I'm your host, Scott Dworkin. Here we are on the eve of the most important election of our lifetime. And we at The Dworkin Report, we wanted to put something together that you can listen to while taking a brief break from get-out-the-vote efforts. That's why we recorded a special podcast with Jennifer Cohn tonight, who writes for protectourvotes.com. She's an attorney and writer who specializes in election integrity, and she's got a project that you can participate in at your local polling precinct, or even from home. That's why you've got to listen to this entire podcast, because Jennifer is going to explain how you can help ensure America's election integrity on protectourvotes.com, and why we're going to advise every single Democrat that's running, every single candidate across the country in a close race, to concede nothing to concede absolutely nothing. Jennifer has even been tracking an interesting development regarding a link between one of the legitimately authorized Russian election observers at the OSCE, you can Google them, and one of the prosecutors in the Magnitsky affair. This is a fascinating podcast, and it's not just for your information. This is a podcast that explains in detail how you can take direct action and put boots from the resistance right on the ground and stomp out election problems in real time. Jennifer Cohn has a great Twitter account, at Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y, Cohn, C-O-H-N, one. And when you're done listening, we encourage you to go read Jennifer's story in the New York Review of Books at nybooks.com, which has been called by some the premier literary intellectual magazine in the English language. And then you need to go right over to bookmark protectourvotes.com and find out more about how you can participate in America's election integrity yourself. Here is my interview with Jennifer Cohn. Election integrity advocate, writer, and attorney, Jennifer Cohn joins me right now. Jennifer, how are you today? I'm fine. How are you doing today? Doing well. A little bit concerned after reading your article today. Uh, Can you tell us more about it, the listeners out there? Um, in the in the New York Review of Books, uh, obviously it's a an article that uh, is about voting machines, but it, it's got a lot more meat to it. And if you could explain, you know, what could possibly go wrong is its title, well, what could possibly go wrong in this election?
1: It would take about an hour to to really go into detail on everything, but um, there are some sort of overriding themes of things that can go wrong that tend to run contrary to what we've been told by election officials and what's sort of been spread around the media. And I I really have been working, not just in this article, but for the past couple of years to try to debunk some of these sort of myths that we've been told. And there are different reasons to do that as you approach an election. Um, You know, a few months ago, I was hoping to do things like uh, get election officials to disable certain parts of their election equipment. and as we get closer, my concern primary concern at the moment is that candidates not concede if we have sort of poll defying or otherwise suspicious looking election losses because in the past there has often I think been pressure on particularly democratic candidates for whatever reason to concede so as not to seem like so are losers or conspiracy theorists and I think that if we have an informed, um, if if voters are informed, they will support the notion of election challenges. And I'm hoping also that candidates might read this article. So you asked what the specific vulnerabilities are. Um, One of the main ones is we've often been told that our system is too decentralized to allow an outcome altering hack. And the truth is that just a handful of vendors, and really primarily two, Vendors comprise 80% or slightly more of U.S. election equipment. Those, two, large, the, those two largest vendors are ES&S, um, Election Systems and Software of Nebraska, and Dominion Voting of Canada. So they, just those two account for more than 80%. And then there's a third called Hart InterCivic, which is the one that we've been hearing a lot about with the Beto race in Texas, the vote flipping. That's another 11%. Um, so that's a, it's, an, it's a vulnerability because it creates sort of a centralized way for, I mean, corrupt insiders in particular within those companies could wreak havoc. And also if they're hacked, if the employee accounts are hacked by either domestic or foreign um, malevolent actors, they, they could wreak havoc that way too. With just by reaching just one, really just one of these vendors could wreak havoc and change outcomes.
0: Wow. That's, that's, so that's, that's sort
1: of it. That's the main one that I let off in, in my article. Um, there are quite a few others.
0: Well, uh, so with, with, with that, <laughs> you left me speechless. Good job. Uh, with, with that, we will make sure to support our democratic candidates. Anybody who, um, should not concede, we will push uh, obviously to not concede, especially if it's fishy. Um, you know, is, is there any way, uh, to to prevent like what is the way to prevent this sort of manipulation of potential votes?
1: Well, it really depends again where you are in relation to an election. So immediately after this election, my focus will be probably on congressional um, passing con- congressional legislation to require really hand marked paper ballots as opposed to the catchphrase paper ballots. People have gotten used to hearing that and how important it is. But um, they really don't offer that much protection if they are paper ballots that are marked for you by a touchscreen machine and then scanned, as opposed to hand-marked ballots that are then scanned. So I really want to focus on Ron Wyden's legislation, which is the PAVE Act, which has a provision that would allow states to still buy whatever crap they want to buy, but they can't force voters to use it. So they have to uh, at least give voters the option to use hand-marked paper ballots, which are a much more secure record of voter intent than one generated by a computer that's put between the voter and the and the paper ballot, if that makes sense.
0: Oh yeah, no um, so does. that's
1: so after the election, there's that. Um, I, there are things that voters themselves can do to protect their votes even tomorrow. So one is when you go to your polling place. Um, if, it's, if they use touchscreens, you should ask if you can mark your ballot by hand instead. And I've just heard anecdotally that Republicans are pretty good at knowing to do that. But Democrats historically have not known to do that. And again, that's just that's the best record of voter intent and the least likely to be manipulated because um, although it's counted, they're counted on hackable scanners, it creates a permanent record where the hack could be caught if there actually is a court ordered uh, manual recount. So that's one tip that's pretty easy to follow. Not, some states actually really do allow that and apparently others don't. Um, so unfortunately some of the paperless states like by paperless I mean they use touchscreen voting machines that don't even generate those crappy paper audit trails. They don't even have that and those states I think you're just you should ask anyway, but I, I don't think they let you handmark. Um, the the other things you can do I'm there's there are things you can do with On election night to monitor the results as they come in so if there's a race you're particularly worried about for example i may be looking at beto's race um you do screenshots you want to make sure you do them of the from the secretary of state's website or the county website because those are the official website results um, that could actually be used in court and you screenshot every say 10 minutes or so and what you're screenshotting is they show the number of precincts reporting and how many votes each candidate has for those precincts, and if you notice um, a candidate's totals going down, that should never happen that suggests somehow the vote it could suggest vote tally manipulation, it could suggest just a glitch. Either way, it could support an election challenge if you, if one needs to be filed. and candidates, I assure you are not already doing this sort of thing so um Yeah, I'm in this group called, well, I'm in a few groups. One is protectourvotes.com, and I'll post on there later today a link to another group that I'm in, a brick-and-mortar group that is organizing a screenshotting project, and they're trying to get all 50 states. And there is precedent for vote totals going down through the night. It happened um, in famous, well, not not as famously as it should have been, but in Bush versus Gore in, in 2000. There were 16,000 Gore votes that were subtracted from a voting machine in Volusia County. And then a poll worker happened to notice it. But this is sort of in the same spirit. We'd just be doing it from home.
0: This episode of the Dworkin Report is brought to you by Resistors Like You. We aim to keep this show independent for as long as we can. Visit DworkinReport.com to see how you can help out. One of the best ways is by hitting that contribute button in the top right and giving what you can. Thanks again for your support. Let's get back to the show. Yeah, we had a lot of issues in 2006. I worked on Christine Jennings' race in Florida, and uh, we had an issue with undervoting is what it was called. And when they would go to the review screen, they would not, even if they voted straight ticket, They, I think it was maybe Nelson and... Uh, I forget who else was Davis was running for governor, and then you go to the review screen, and it wouldn't be checked for her, so you'd have to go back and then push it in. And we proved that in court, brought it all the way, to, brought it all the way to Supreme Court, and lost. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we well, would, you know, and, but the
1: thing is, uh, the law is sort of viewed in the context of what's happening in society, and so I think with all the talk of hacking, you might we might get a different result. I wouldn't assume that we wouldn't if it happened in one of these high-profile races this time. Uh, the other thing that's really important, and maybe this is what you used, is is to photograph the, what's called the voting machine results tapes on election night. Many places post them outside the precincts on election night, and what you're looking for is to make sure that the results on the precincts at the precinct level match what comes out as reported um, later on in the night. So, you photograph those results tapes and then you compare them to what comes, what's reported later on for that precinct as the total and make sure they match. And if they don't match, that could suggest hacking of the central tabulators or somewhere en route between the pre- precinct and the central tabulators that something went wrong. And again, we've been trying to get campaigns to take this seriously and unfortunately campaigns do not for the most part from the several that I have checked with this is not a standard procedure it should be it's also not a standard procedure in those types of jurisdictions that tend to um, prefer to keep their their system less secure so Kansas for example Johnson County they they don't even make that sort of basic due diligence check themselves and i personally it concerns me that they try to, that this isn't a, that they would prefer to have plausible deniability so that if something does get switched, they can say, well, they didn't notice it because they just, that's not their procedure to check those two things. So my point being we as voters can do this ourselves and um, you have, what you can do is you can call your County election office and ask if the precinct tapes are posted outside the precincts, if the precinct results tapes are, and if they are, it looks sort of like a cash register, long piece of paper. And it has the vote totals on there for each race. And you just go there with your phone and you can photograph it. And then if you notice something, you could either um, reach me through protectourvotes.com or my Twitter, or you can also um, just contact the campaigns.
0: Right. Do Do you think votes were changed in 2016?
1: I don't know. I I mean, yes, I guess I think they might have been. How hard would
0: it have been? How hard would it have been for someone to change votes?
1: It would not have been hard. And that's another message that I really want to put out there is that it, and and I hit this in the article, and especially with the concluding quote, is that it doesn't take a nation state to hack a U.S. election. Um, It can just be one person, one domestic insider at the company or the election office. And there are just many, many Points of attacks. If you're somebody who has access just to um, a voting machine, just one single voting machine, because the totals from each machine then are put onto these um, memory cards and then brought to the central tabulators. The central tabulator is at the county level and it's part of the county election management system. So it, it tallies all the votes in the county. So if you have an infected, one single infected voting machine. It's It's malware could be transferred to a card, which then goes to the central tabulator and wrecks everything. or someone could just swap out those cards beforehand so that they have malware on them. It, it would be extremely it would have been extremely easy. and I think it would have been so easy that I tend to think that yes, um, vote totals were switched somewhere. But my biggest complaint is that we don't have the types of checks and balances in our system that really allow us to know whether that occurred because we don't require. Manual audits, and even when we do require them, they're dog and pony show audits that aren't really thorough enough to detect anything. They can just be gamed.
0: Well, that's the next step, uh, you know, along with gerrymandering and uh, uh, protecting, obviously, our elections. Is we're gonna we're gonna have to make sure that we actually, you know, spend money on that. So hopefully, you know, we can have a, a Dem led House and Senate after after Tuesday. Uh, I I wanted to ask you. Uh, you had mentioned protectourvotes.com. Can you tell me a little bit about the Voting Rights Task Task Force that you're on?
1: It's a brick and mortar group in the East Bay, and um, a lot of people who've been involved with election integrity before, since before I became interested in it. So there's a lot of experience there. It's California. They have a lot of the work that they do has been California based, but they also host. They hosted a really great event about a year ago where they had speakers come in from all over the country who spoke about election integrity. And election integrity, by the way, has to do with um, protecting the the process of the counting of the votes and the corralling of the votes and making sure that process is free from fraud and and error as opposed to voter fraud, which is typically preventing voter impersonation um, at the polls, you know, having dead people vote or people who aren't really American citizens vote. So what VRTF is focused on is what I'm focused on, which is the the process and most specifically the voting machines. Um, So, so they have, I guess in 2012, they did this screenshot project and, and um, they, so they have the infrastructure and experience to do it. And I was going to do it. And then seeing as I'm already in their group and they were already planning it, it made a lot more sense for me to just promote their project. So I will put a link up on votes dot com, and I will also promote it on my Twitter feed, which is at Jenny Cohn one C O H N one. So I think that would be a really important way. You can just do it from home; it's really easy. I did I did it for Ohio twelve. It's just it's kind of fun. You check yeah. in every, and then if you notice the totals going down, you you start screaming.
0: Right, right. Well, we'll make sure to to track that and to promote your your page for that. And one last question for you: um, you know, lots of people were concerned about. Um, so some members of the Russian government coming over here to poll watch. Um, I w- wondered if you could explain who uh, Yulia Kudineva, I'm not sure if that's uh, you pronounce her name, but uh, if you could explain who that was for our listeners.
1: Sure, she's she's a woman who is with the the official contingency of of international election observers. She was first called to my attention the week I believe it was the week before the Georgia 6th district primary election in 2017 which was the most expensive house race of all time and she was just chit-chatting on Facebook. I didn't discover this, someone told me. She was chit-chatting on Facebook with the director of Fulton County and it was just, you know, out in the open and she's this woman in Moscow and and she's a high-ranking election um, consultant to the Russian Election Federation, and it was just frankly really unsettling before such a major race that he obviously had this, um, well, certainly a social media relationship with her, but presumably they've spoken outside of social media. It appeared from the from the posts, and so anyway, someone that I know at the it's called the Georgia Sunshine Project, which has been focusing on the machines and the voting machines in Georgia, sort of followed that publicly posted social media relationship and um, discovered that they they sort of maintained regular contact over the past year. And that this woman came back as part of the um, official international observer contingency, the long-term observers. And she's been here since October. And I gather she'll be here until two weeks after, uh, maybe November 16th, I think. And it, what's right well it's disturbing that she's in montana right now and i think she's been there for about the past week because you know you first you had this contact just before the georgia 6th district most expensive house race of all time and now she happens to be in montana at the same time that trump held a rally there and that's apparently from what i've read one of the one of the Races that Trump is focused on the most, if not the race that he focused on the most, is the Senate race in Montana. It's just unsettling. I don't know what it means, but there are way too many um, sort of contacts between the GOP and Russian election officials for comfort, in my opinion.
0: Absolutely, no, and and you know, people should know that you know, 200 uh, Russian spies were expelled from the country right after the election. Um, we've, uh, obviously caught, um, and indicted, uh, well, not caught, but indicted, uh, many different Russians and Russian companies and, uh, Americans, and, uh, there's more to come for their involvement in, in uh, you know, working with Russia to attack America via our elections and basically... Oh, way. the
1: other, yeah, the other thing that's interesting about this woman, I'm sorry, I just cut Go ahead, off. no,
0: go, 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 go.
1: I'm ahead. sorry, is that her father uh, uh, appears, and I think... I think it's almost certainly from the pictures and everything. It certainly looks like the same guy, and it's the same name. Her father appears to have been one of the prosecutors in the Magnitsky case. He had to resign because of some corruption scandal. But she's not. She comes from a high-ranking Russian family, and she's traveled with a guy named Alexei Chipa who seems to be high up in the Russian sort of maybe the mil- military intelligence establishment he he he's not a nobody. So, you know, she's got high-level contacts and she went to a university that is also known for churning out diplomats but spies too. It it's just disconcerting. Yeah, why- I don't know what to make of it, but I wish it were investigated
0: more. I, be- I, and- bet, I bet I bet it is. I bet it is. I can say that. I can tell you that Mueller's on top of more than we could ever imagine. I mean, that's what it's what-
1: that someone's investigating these things
0: i would assume so i would assume so. there's too know. there's too big of a red flag there you know and if they're they're doing something illegal he's going to catch them that that's for sure
1: i don't know i hope so but my my biggest concern again is i well i don't know if i said this offline or online just now but i really really don't want candidates to roll over and concede if if the poll, polls are not perfect it's not that they prove you know, if there's, it's not that polls can prove the presence or absence of election fraud, but it's a red flag when a result deviates from the polls. And we've had a few, too, we've had way too many democratic losses that were extremely poll defying. And if we see anything like that, again, I really, really encourage candidates not to concede. And I really, really encourage voters to not let them concede, to support them in filing challenges. It doesn't make you a sore loser to want to protect our votes and make sure the process hasn't been rigged.
0: Jennifer Cohn, thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: I appreciate it. I'd like to thank Jennifer Cohn. I'd like to thank my producer, Grant Stern. I have one last message for everybody. Vote if you haven't voted. If you have voted, tell your friends to vote. Then tell someone you haven't talked to in a while to vote. Then start messaging people you know on Facebook and ask them to vote. Start sending out posts asking people to vote. We have to push everybody, everybody to vote tomorrow. And the work we do today can equal the outcome for tomorrow. Thank you again for listening. Keep resisting.